0: Welcome to Invisible Arts with Richard Gibbs, brought to you by Armory of Harmony.
1: This is the Woodshed Chronicle. November 8th, 2018, the Santa Ana winds were howling at over 60 miles per hour not that unusual for that time of year in Southern California. Poorly maintained power lines and hills between the San Fernando Valley and Simi Valley sparked, starting a fire in the brittle dry brush below. Also, sadly, not that unusual for Southern California. The fire raced across the mountains into Calabasas, where our faithful engineer and studio manager, Lance Powell, lived.
2: So I had family visiting from New Zealand for the weekend, and they just landed when the fire started to encroach on Calabasas. Our apartment was right next to a big state park that was quickly going up in flames, and shortly after they arrived, the police came along and evacuated the street. The
1: police department evacuated immediately.
2: Along with most of Ventura County. The hotels quickly filled up, so we called Rich and Linda and asked if we could just come and crash at the studio for the night, thinking in the morning we'd be back home like nothing had ever happened. So my mother, stepfather, aunt, uncle, my partner Roxy and the two dogs jumped in the car along with myself, and we
1: turned up at Woodshed. Big mistake turned out. The next morning, we all awoke to the sight of a huge, wide wall of smoke coming over the mountains. In the wee hours, the winds had easily pushed the fire across the first major firebreak, the Ventura Freeway. It was surging towards Malibu. We took some comfort in four things. One, in the many destructive fires to come over those same mountains in the past. An army of firefighters from all over California had assembled and beaten back the flames. Two. Point Doom was protected by a second firebreak Pacific Coast Highway with its 80 foot wide swath of asphalt. Three, Point Doom had not burned since 1935, and that was back when it was mostly just Chaparral. And four, we had our own fire station right on one of the entrances to the point.
2: The fire started to come over the hills from Calabasas and was clearly getting much worse. Roxy rounded up the dogs and took off in one of the cars to her parents place and luckily beat the traffic. Uh, I rounded up the family, got all the luggage in the car, grabbed a few hard drives and microphones from the studio and we started to evacuate too. Unfortunately we got stuck in pretty gridlocked traffic on the Pacific Coast Highway over the next two hours we made it about three quarters of a mile and the car started to run out of fuel. We turned around and headed the opposite direction towards Oxnard, but we hit a black wall of smoke and decided that running out of fuel inside that wasn't the smartest idea. We talked to a local police officer who said that all the gas stations had shut down and our only option was shelter in place on the beach. We headed back towards woodshed recording with the intention of having some food and water before heading down to the beach to hope for the best.
1: Power was out that morning, as often happens during high winds. My lovely wife Linda emptied the fridge to create a glorious early morning breakfast spread for our impromptu Kiwi guests. We joked and called it the last breakfast. I kept looking out the windows at the ever encroaching fire. We learned later that the fire front had increased to a 14 mile wide swath by the time it crested the mountains on its race to the sea.
2: After the family had some food and felt a bit better, I had them all back in the car was just about to take off when I saw Richard running up from the side of the studio with a red canister of fuel he said he didn't know what type of fuel it was he didn't know how old it was with nothing to lose we dumped it in the car and we took off on pch again out of malibu and over to safety
1: linda and i set about preparing the property as best we could just in case history firemen and PCH didn't serve us well this time. We threw wooden outdoor furniture into the pool, made sure all the windows and doors were sealed tight. We filled our two cars to the brim with every photo album and scrapbook we could muster from our family's 20-year history in our home. To get a better perspective on the monster headed our way, I pedaled my bike down the street to the top of the headlands of Point Doom, protruding into the Pacific. From that vantage point, I could now see the breadth, fierceness, speed, and direction of the beast. I snapped a few pictures with my phone and started to pedal the quarter mile back to our home. Suddenly, I was engulfed in black smoke, hot ash, and embers flying all around. I burst into the house. Linda, time to go, now. Linda and Jackson, our Portuguese water dog, piled into our Chevy Bolt. I yelled to Linda over the roar of the wind to turn the opposite way out of our driveway as there is a hundred foot wall of black smoke heading towards us via our normal route. Right behind her, I piloted our Volt out the driveway. It was like the scene in Independence Day where Air Force One bursts out of the alien-created conflagration, barely escaping alive. As we drove off the point, we saw no fire engine, No firemen heroically guarding our home, or anybody else's for that matter. The gully behind our studio was fully aflame, as was our next door neighbor's house. We knew we would never see the woodshed or our home again. Shed was my dream studio. Back in 2001, we designed it and started building it from scratch, ignoring all accepted norms of studio design. Many years ago, I had lived for a few months in an old Craftsman house in the Silver Lake district. I fell in love with the feel of that house, the way I felt instantly at home. I wanted that for my creative space. Craftsman houses are very specific in their geometry, scale, and materials. That geometry called for parallel walls, verboten in studio design for reasons of acoustics. Parallel walls create a ping-pong effect, translating to an unpleasant boxy sound. Fuck it, I don't care, I remember thinking. We'll figure that out. I just want that feeling of security, warmth, and beauty. Glass is a big problem acoustically as well. It is highly reflective and will exacerbate any reverberation unpleasantness. And it is also not ideal for keeping sound in, an issue with neighbors, or out. Airplanes, birds, barking dogs but the studio looks out over the Pacific. No way I'm going to block that view. We'll figure that out too. I had a tough time finding an architect who truly understood both the craftsman aesthetic and the unique necessities of a recording studio. The studio designers all thought like acousticians and engineers, and the craftsman people didn't care one whit for acoustics and studio requirements. So I hired a guy who was neither, a Taiwanese-born architect named Kai Yang. He had several things going for him. We hit it off immediately from a purely creative standpoint. He was a clean slate as far as studios and craftsman structure were concerned. And he lived just a few blocks away. Akai was a disciple of famed architect Charles Moore.
0: Initially, I thought the project was not my style of architecture design. But up to the first meeting with you and Linda, I changed my mind. It's not my style, but I love the style. I love, you know, all the details and I love the texture. I love I just love the feeling of it.
1: We broke every rule in the book. Akai took tours of the Gamble House in Pasadena, the foremost example of the craftsman style built by brothers Charles and Henry Green in nineteen oh eight. You know it as the exterior of Doc Brown's house in Back to the Future. We toured recording studios around LA so that Akai could become familiar with what had come before. It became a catchphrase between us. Every time we left a studio, We would look at each other, and one of us would say, Now we know what not to do. I hired a studio designer and builder, Jack Vieira, just as a consultant, to educate us about proper ways to isolate floors, walls, and air conditioning, and to help design the studio's elaborate wiring troughs. We were limited to the square footage of the guest house that we tore down to make room for the studio, about 1,100 square feet. Plenty of room, but it needed to be flexible enough to accommodate all different sizes and types of ensembles for scoring movies. So in another radical design move, the studio was built with a completely fluid floor plan with a movable wall system that could be rolled away to make for one big open room or divided into two or three rooms with all of the gear on wheels. Planning and permits took about two years. Construction took another pair of trips around the sun. When we finished, I was convinced that something would turn out to be radically wrong because we had broken all of those rules, but that didn't happen. Jack and I were standing in the studio as the last major touch was added, the moving wall panels, and he looked at me and said with dead seriousness, Make sure the first sessions in here have really good vibes. When I laughed, he pressed on. No, man, I'm serious. The vibes get in the walls, man. It affects everything. The first sessions were for the finishing touches on my score to Barbershop 2 with RZA. Definitely good vibes we threw an outrageous opening party for the studio, inviting everybody we knew. I hired a zydeco band, Doug in the Mystics, to play up by the house, an avant-garde percussion ensemble called Glank to play outside the studio by the pool, a gamelan group to perform inside the studio, and an 11-piece Japanese taiko ensemble to perform on a stage that I had rented, complete with lights, on the lower yard below the studio. That last group was so loud that the cops were called on us repeatedly that afternoon, so we had to shut them down before dark. I built the studio for me as my own creative home for scoring movies and producing bands, but word got out. Our first commercial booking came when Pink needed a place to record a quick overdub on an Eminem track. She was in and out in an hour, but she fell in love with the building, the vibe, the view, And immediately asked if she could rent our entire property, including our home, to finish up her new album. As luck and a few phone calls would have it, we were invited to join a surf expedition of a lifetime in Indonesia over the exact same stretch of days. Hmm, surf perfect waves with friends and family alone in an exotic locale while getting paid? You bet. Word started spreading slowly at first about this beautiful and entirely unique recording studio overlooking the Pacific with moving walls. The vibes kept getting better and better. Chris Martin moved in for months at a time. He actually said to me once with complete sincerity that he thought the woodshed should be on the National Register of Historic Places. You too, Barbara Streisand, Anthony Hopkins wrote and recorded his classical piano music. Who knew he was such a great pianist? Chance the Rapper, Lady Gaga. Check out this supercut Lance put together of some of the songs recorded in Woodshed Recording.
3: She liked the price She see the ice and make her coochie melt (laughs) When I met her in the club I asked her who she felt Then she went and put that booty on that Gucci belt
1: Local actors utilized it for voiceover work and audiobooks. Sean Penn, Ed Harris, Fran Drescher, Julia Roberts, and Kevin Hart graced us with their presences. And the architecture and setting drew many people to shoot videos and interviews on the property, which served to drive more artists to our doors, including Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Lance called up Warren Ellis from the Bad Seeds to catch up.
2: Warren, how are you? Not too bad, thanks. So you and the Bad Seeds have been in and out of a lot of studios over the years. What was your impression of woodshed recording?
0: Well, for me, recording at the woodshed and recording Ghostine remains one of the greatest two weeks of my life, as I can remember them. And Every time I hear that record or I conjure up the memory of making that record, I have the same feeling again. It's seriously, you know, one of the happiest moments I've ever experienced in my life on a creative level and on a emotional level and a personal level. And a lot of that I attribute to the studio and to what we were working on and to working with you as well, how that project just seemed to find uh, flight and it wouldn't have happened anywhere else. I know that deeply. I know the feeling I had waking up Every morning, finding the kind of rough mixes from you that you've been sitting on, getting down in my pyjamas, sitting on the veranda, listening to them with absolute wonder and awe at what we'd done the day before and being so genuinely kind of amazed by what was going on and sitting and looking out at the view and the garden. And I remember Nick waking me up every morning with my headphones on because I'd fallen asleep <laughs> in the chair and he'd come over in my pyjamas and Nick would wake me up and make me a cup of, cup of coffee and stuff like that. The impact of the light surrounding is evident on that recording. You know, for me that album and The Woodshed are kind of connected from the arrangement of being in the place and being able to work together so closely and continuously on something was just phenomenal. And also the layout in the studio that's so fantastic that um, it's just a big open space. You can be outside if you want to and then get back inside. And it's such a beautiful building. The way that it's finished is so beautiful. The hummingbirds, I mean, really, like I said, it's just one of the great memories that I have. You
3: are beside me I think they're singing to be free I think they're singing to be free I think my friends have gathered here for me I think they've gathered here for me To be beside me Look for me Look for me
1: But then, Woolsey. The night of the fire, we settled in at a BMB in Venice, operated by our neighbor. Our son, Keegan, sent us a clip that a friend had shot with his iPhone. It was of a reporter on his TV, standing in front of our house, burning to the ground. This is the house we first showed you. It is now gone. The one next door, fully involved too. And right across the street, Another total loss. We went to sleep that night in shock. Thoughts of retirement in Ireland or Portugal were stirring in our heads as we fitfully slept. Before dawn on the next day, Keegan had managed to get past the sheriff's roadblocks to get back to Point Doom, determined to join his friends in their efforts to fight the still raging fires. Someone sent us an early morning surreal shot of the twisted rubble that had once been our home. I examined it closely. Down the left side of the photo, it looked to me through the haze that I could just barely make out the roof line of the studio. Perhaps some of the massive timbers had survived. Keegan, our son-in-law Ryland, and their friend, Kelly Jacobson, drove by the remains and walked down to the studio and sent us a selfie that reduced me instantaneously to tears. It was of a gas-masked, grinning Keegan, with Ryland and Kelly behind him, standing triumphantly in front of the woodshed, it appeared unscathed, a complete miracle. It took about 10 months to get the studio back up and running. Five months alone just to get the power back. The walkway, koi pond, storage, AC, and pool shed were completely destroyed. The week after the fire, someone was driving by and offered to shoot drone footage of the aftermath. That dramatic clip is on the newsfeed of the studio website, something you have to see to believe. Twenty-three homes on our block alone were destroyed, including our neighbors. The woodshed and its surrounding gardens, however, appear as a lush green oasis in the middle of Dresden during World War II. Why? Two reasons we have realized. One was the lush landscape and healthy soil surrounding the studio. Linda has a certificate in permaculture design and is a soils advocate for kiss the ground and teaches classes regarding regenerative agriculture. The grounds around the studio, but not yet the house sadly, has been her experiment station.
3: Like with all symbiotic relationships, the studio and the garden saved each other. Think of a torch, a big flame, being held to a big log. It will burn while that torch is there, but as soon as the torch leaves, the flame goes out because it's big wood. Think now of a sponge that is wet all the way through, and try to light that with the torch. It's going to take a very long time for that water to evaporate, for that sponge to be able to catch on fire. And that's what the garden was. The garden is the sponge, and the studio is the big timber. If the studio had caught fire and burned at 2300 degrees like our house for, you know, five or six hours, eventually the gardens would have burned. If the gardens had burned and provided kindling that would eventually catch the big timber, the studio would have burned. So the line when our son came and found the studio was, Mom, the gardens save the studio. I had constantly been talking about this soil carbon sponge that I was growing, and no one, wanted to hear it. They were tired of my newly come to Jesus soil preaching. But now they could see that something was different because 360 degrees all the way around the gardens was nothing but ash. My garden, the next morning while the Santa Ana winds were still howling and fires were still burning and houses were still catching on fire from embers there was dew on the ground that soil will hold it's estimated up to 30 times its weight in water
1: The other factor was the studio itself. Turns out, soundproof structures are inherently fire safe. How do you make a building soundproof? First and foremost, you make it absolutely airtight. No moving air, ipso facto, no sound. Buildings, even in a wildfire like Woolsey, typically burn from the inside out. A temperature differential of thousands of degrees between the inside of a house and a firestorm outside will create howling backdrafts that will suck burning embers inside via cracks under doors, vents, and poorly sealed windows. But the woodshed was an absolute vault. The fire raged all around and even over the studio going 100 feet in the air, but it could not gain purchase anywhere. I snuck my way back into Malibu the day after. I walked around the perimeter of the woodshed. There were thousands of dead embers all around the base of the studio. They had bounced off as if it was Uluru or Stone Mountain. In September of 2019, Coldplay came back to re-consecrate the holy ground of woodshed recording. We were back like a phoenix from the ashes. The music lives on.
0: Invisible Arts is produced at Woodshed Recording in Malibu, California. came in the bad seeds I don't know, really know what 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 I'm doing goodbye Tai Jen